1: The Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now here's your host, Sharon Kleina.
2: I want to advise you to listen to my show, The Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water. Many years ago, I wanted to educate the impact of what is happening worldwide with water issues and with the concerns and threats of water. I have a prayer, and I hope you all will join me, and I'm praying that this show can make a difference to impact the serious freshwater crisis. It's an invisible threat that our leaders around the world that are being paid by you and I all over the world to be leaders, To that, they are not taking serious the seriousness of water, fresh water, worldwide. It's been ignored. They put money into everything else as the most frivolous, Ridiculous things, rather than taking uh, care of our planet and the people on the planet that expect them to for the what's what's life saving and what makes life better. But it's always got to be at the top of the list. Water. It can never be below the top. It has to be number one, the most life threatening crisis and the most healthy part of our lives to make you healthier and to get have healthy a life around you with other people's lives. It's the water, and fresh water must be clean. Our population is growing. It's never going to slow down. Last week, the population in the United States grew by 48,740 people. In the United States, we now have a population of three hundred and thirteen million nine hundred and fifty eight thousand eight hundred and fifty people in the world population, the world population grew by one million four hundred and forty seven thousand two hundred and forty one people. the world population now is seven billion twenty six million six hundred and twenty six thousand two hundred and three people every single person. That isn't even counting our wildlife, our animals, our pets. That's not counting the trees and the forests and the limbs and the flowers and the agriculture. That's counting people that need water. So let's stop and think about this. We're having 5,000 children dying a day worldwide. They don't have fresh water. Those leaders need to be humiliated. So my prayer is going out with the belief that if we tell our story to inform the people of the world and our research are the facts, we're telling the truth, that our prayers together will educate and will form a team of dedicated individuals through this show and other ways to reach out to the world and do something with education Every single day and week that we can, together, we will begin a cause that we will never quit. And this will save lives. Because that's what we're here for, to make a better place for everybody else, to embrace their life. And Earth always does whisper, don't take it all with you. Well, if you don't take serious our world leaders and who is in those positions, this is a crisis, too. They've got to put water at the number one of the list at the top. So let's do that together with our prayers together. We can. I know it. Every week I have the greatest guests uh, through the years. I bring on people whose lives are dedicated to a subject or a concern that they have, and they they dedicated their lives to it. And we bring them on for you to listen to so you get the story of what they've been doing and why. You get an educa- the research of facts, facts and then you get the education to help make your health better. And let's talk about this as the Health Olympics show, too. We want to be healthier people to live on this earth. Today we have an exciting guest. I always like to have Dr. Cecil on here, Dwayne Cecil. He's an advisor with NOAA. His past has been with NASA. His background is extraordinary. He's committed. And today we're going to talk about the national heat wave, fires, and hurricane season, but we always have a lot of other things to discuss because Joanne is full of education and does he care about your life? He really does. He's dedicated his whole life to it. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research Center, which I am the founder of is a a company who's dedicated millions of dollars in studying water on Earth that can be used for health issues, not just for drinking only, not for taking a shower, a bath, or irrigation and more power, but for your health every day. What can you do to add fresh water 100% to your health? We know that at the surface of the eyes, many, many years ago, I was asked by ophthalmology research to study the surface of eyes. Eyes are, at the surface, 99% water. And did you know that if vision impairment begins at any age, it's because that dehydration is causing it. When the eyelid opens, each individual has a different eye. Vision impairment is loss of water. Dehydration is called. So when they brought me in, I showed them what to do. They asked me if I would launch a product. I launched Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. It's tissue culture grade of water, safe, does not burn, does not blur, just to give your eyes that nutrient of fresh nutrition of water with just a mist. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Listen
1: listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Hour at yahoo.com. That's Hour at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program.
2: Wayne, are you with us?
3: I'm here. So
2: where are you sitting today?
3: I'm sitting in Asheville, North Carolina at the at the National Climatic Data Center. Oh,
2: okay, so I didn't know if we got you traveling around or not today. Thank you for joining us again. I always like having you on, and we're, you're full of information. Tell our audience uh, what is happening out there with your background, and you've been, how long have you been studying all this? Well,
3: thank, th- thanks for having me again. Well, I've been in this field in, in weather and, and uh, climate variability and change and, and water resources for a, Almost forty years now. Mm-hmm. So you've seen a lot. Uh, I have thirty-one years of that. Was in federal service with uh, with NASA, with the U.S. Geological Survey, and with uh, NOAA, the National mm-hmm. Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Mm-hmm. And I'm now a contractor with NOAA at the National Climatic Data Center, and and mm-hmm. we're trying to systematically put together a program here for looking at the climate, all the different climate signals, and and what it means to extreme. Could possibly mean to extreme weather events, and what kind of impact that this changing uh, weather and climate will have on water resources, and and how can we how can we make plans together to start to address and and build some skill in our in our science and and in our predictive capabilities, and and work with decision makers, and putting together more flexible plans on on how we're all going to address water resources and, and overpopulation.
2: Now, you and I have talked about this before on the show about our astronauts going out into the system out there called the solar system, and they were studying. And, and this concern that I had and you have taught me that if we don't have that continual exploration, we're going to be behind the times of what's going on with Earth. You can only learn about Earth when you get away from Earth out in the solar system and look back and then understand the relationship that earth has ongoing with the rest of the solar system because climate is a a big deal it it's it shows the influence of what is happening out there with moisture
3: no you're you're absolutely right you know we've we've talked several times about my view that uh, as we all are facing shrinking budgets not just in the US federal sector but in the private sector, the academic sector and internationally we're all looking at shrinking budgets at the same time we're looking at increased uh, pressure on our our natural resources and larger populations and everybody likes to live near coast so everybody's moving near coast where we're starting to experience effects of sea level rise and and these these perturbations on water resources whether whether it's uh, human induced Pollution, or whether it's changes in weather and climate, naturally driven, or some human influence on the change in weather and climate, it really doesn't matter. We're just seeing more and more impacts um, on water resources in particular. And if we really, in a concerted effort, start addressing water supply and 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 the and the value and the the need for Good clean water resources, and and start addressing also overpopulation, then things like invasive species. You've heard me say it before, invasive species, and and climate change. And we start addressing those as well. If we if we address the natural resources, we address the overpopulation, the demand. And space exploration is is one of the keys to that. And I and I'm, I feel strongly about the Earth observation part of, of space exploration with our satellites, observing our our planet and seeing changes in the ice caps and changes in coastlines and changes in vegetative cover on the continents and monitoring and, and keeping track of the changes we see in the atmosphere. they are key to understanding how the weather and climate's changing and how our human population is perturbating or, or having an effect on different parts of the planet. And, and we need that global picture. And we, we have local observational networks, local weather stations, uh, mm-hmm. Local folks that are really interested in water resources in, in just in their locality, but if we don't know what's happening globally, you know, we can make all the plans in the in the world for how we're going to monitor and and manage our local water resource. But if we don't have a handle on the the global influence, then we're, our plans could go awry quickly. They, they may not turn out the way that we we had planned them. To turn out, and so we have to have that global picture, and we have to know it historically, which satellite record goes back, in some cases, 40 years, and we can look at how a resource on the face of the Earth looks from space from a satellite platform, and how that's changed over 40 years, and that helps us then plan for the next five, 10 years. So the the space exploration part of this, is particularly the Earth observation satellites, are absolutely essential to understanding what's happening globally.
2: And then they're also studying our 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 neighbors out there in the solar system, the different other planets, what their what the impact on them is.
3: That's right. You know,
2: sure. I've been studying uh, dehydration, the word, for so long, Dwayne, and and for some reason, whatever mission I was handed here, but. Uh, When I stop and look at uh, a droplet of anything, I look at a leaf or I look at a human being, I look at anything in the air, I look at anything at all that has any uh, life at all on this planet, period. It's because of water, dehydration or hydration, And I look out into the the solar system and think about Earth's influence on them. We don't know which one of them has water and where. Well, we have an influence on everything around us because we have water here that's obviously done, it's created a life here.
3: That's right.
2: And uh, we as a a people on this planet have to together survive and and, uh, defeat any threat that there could be a time where the monitoring is just a hobby, not a serious, what you just said, people have to gather from all over the world with their results. What are we learning every day, every week, every month, every year? What's going to make it better for life on Earth to be forever?
3: Yeah, and the the monitoring is has really started to lose a lot of attention in this country in terms of um, federal budgets, state and local budgets, um, observational well, Dwayne, network. Well, you know
2: I'm going to be very upfront to the, you and the rest of the world listening. Our politicians quote, "We're calling them politicians today." They're leaders of the world that are paid to go t- to oversee the business of our world, our lives, and that means the safety and the endurance of our life on this planet to be forever. They're they're not they're uh, they're not taking serious. The number one issue is the water and life on Earth being healthy and being here healthier and healthier forever. They can't do it without fresh water and clean water. The, where I don't even know where, where they're coming from. Well, they. I, I, I mean, where are they? Uh, they. I mean, and look at these five thousand children dying a day in those countries that should be humiliated. People all over the world they're going and joining, fighting over. Uh, activities of, th- of of threats with Uh, different, uh, we call them uh, uh, wars out there against uh, with others uh, that are against what we believe, but they don't realize that the countries we're fighting against or with or what over there in the sand lost their water long ago, and they're terrified they're never going to have enough water. And those water wars started subtly so long ago. They're still water wars. They're frustrated. They don't know how they're going to survive
3: yeah it's gonna and it's gonna escalate i mean as the world it will population get worse increases, because this country right. and the
2: rest of the world did not realize why they're really at war. they're terrified that their culture will diminish
3: In my opinion and it's it is my opinion, and not every uh, person who owns political or or has political office in this country fits this model but, but for me, the model is the politicians and decision makers in the United states are worried about two years, four years, and six years. It's uh, all re-election. It's all re-election, and that's really what they're worried about. And, and they they claim that they have their constituents' best interests in mind. But oftentimes, I mean, if you're in Congress for two years, how do you know what your constituents really need and what they really want? And so they all have hidden agendas, um, and, and not all of them, but the vast majority of them in this country, they just – their decisions are based on 2 years, 4 years and 6 years. They're not worried about 10, 20 years.
2: What's well, happening to what's happening to the budget of our first responders, the budgets of what you're trying to accomplish with NASA, NOAA and and the concerns of our uh, welfare with fresh water, uh, the sea waters, uh, uh, our soil, is alive and our life on earth if they forgot about what this is all about. Money is always, I mean, and they, their salaries go up. And the thing about it is, is people have to realize down on the streets that are trying to find a job or trying to make ends meet at their kitchen table. And, Dwayne, I look at every single home. I don't care if you live under the bridge. That might be your home for the moment. You're trying to figure out a business plan to figure out how you're going to eat that day. How you're going to be healthier that day? How you're going to get along that day? That's a plan, and that should be respected. But they're putting in positions all over the world and in the United States a person who's supposed to be representing all people. And what has happened here? They're they're representing the word constituent. That's no that they should not be saying that. This is a body of people that live in 50 states.
3: Yeah, it's it's incredible to me that you know the the data have been there for a number of years that that tell us what's happening in the environment that the, the our water resources are good clean water is becoming even in this country is becoming harder and harder to endangered to come
2: species by. water is a species it's becoming endangered all because of those people they get they get the credit because it's kind of like at my job and your job and and anybody's job. That they may have, and I don't care if you're under the bridge at the moment, that's a job to get by. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody has a position of responsibility to do the job of the day. Well, when we go to do it, my God, we're we're needing other people to be elected to go do their job, and that's their job. They're not doing it. They're letting you down. They're letting your focus down. You're all of the... Education that our forefathers brought together—that this planet, our country of America, 50 states—I call them 50 countries—need what's best for life on Earth to make a difference. The prayers that we bring together together are should be like our forefathers and, and cultures of the world did, with the Earth in its rhythm and Earth at its needing of us, is to put the Earth first. And the water has to be, fresh water, water has to always be number one.
3: Now with with all of that said, Sharon, there are some, some good stories out there as well. The Western Governors Association has done some outstanding jobs in organizing across the West. There are 19 Western states that belong to the Western Governors Association. And they are the ones who actually... Um, forced the federal government into forming NIDAS, the National Integrated Drought Information System. And the Western governors came to the federal government and said, look, we need the science and we need it to be sustained and need to have staff on full time to help direct us in how we respond to drought conditions and how we predict drought conditions and how we might be huh. able to avoid, in some places, the effects of drought conditions. Now, so they, covers, how, how, long that that? In, how long has that been? How uh, long has that been a program? It's, a, it's a been about nine years now, okay. and and it's it's very active in the federal sector. It, it uh-huh. is uh, led by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric uh-huh. Administration. The deputy, uh-huh. the, the director is from NOAA. The deputy. And that's what
2: you were doing uh, before you became an advisor did, to where you're at.
3: I did work with NOAA, um, and I still do work with with uh, NIDAS, I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And the deputy directors from the U.S. Geological Survey, mm-hmm. the Army Corps of Engineers is, is an active participant. The uh, Bureau of Reclamation mm-hmm. is active pers- participant. Mm-hmm. Uh, NASA is active. So it, it, re- it truly is a, a concerted effort. Well, you've
2: told me this before, the- and you just said it differently this time. I, I like the way you described it for the audience and myself to see that there's somebody and there's a group of people and you said the western side of the governors here in the United States are taking it serious because that's what we need to hear is that a program ex- explain to us exactly what there's governors and there's all these people. They're not going to cut budgets. Uh, I hope they're not going to cut budgets. Am I right?
3: <laughs> uh, well, you know, they're, they're all, they're all facing some budget cuts and they've all, mm-hmm. uh, trimmed down their, their, in-state observational networks because they just mm-hmm. don't have the money to maintain them. Mm-hmm. But they're keeping the what the scientists tell them to be the absolute essential parts of the observational mm-hmm. networks. They are trying to keep those and maintain them and build them. And and again, the western governors have uh, whether they're Democrat or Republican or Independent, they've banded together because they know that there's one one thing that they all have in common, and that's if if their states are going to develop during their eight-year tenure or whatever the state says their tenure can be, and they get reelected, if if they're going to show progress and build jobs and economy and develop their states, they've got to have water. It's absolutely essential to their economies. They understand that. And every time that when I was the Western Region Climate Services Director for NOAA, when I'd go to a Western Governors Association meeting and talk about climate variability and change, didn't matter if they were independent, Democrat, Republican. I lost their attention. If I went to their meeting and talked about water resources, I had the attention of every governor in the room and their staff. And then I would talk about things like urban sprawl and overpopulation and invasive species and water resource degradation and climate variability and change. And when you talk about climate variability and change in that context, they understand it, they get it, you you have mm-hmm. their attention, they know that it's something that they, they have to put some kind of resource toward to address. Good news. That's good news to hear so, um so the politicians are responsive if you
2: well, do you find that the governors and... the governors are much closer to the issues because the govern they're governors of their states that they choose to live that's right that's their that's that right. it's just like what happened with the oil spill in Louisiana and those neighboring states they that was uh, impacted them personally, they cared although they knew that the oil spill was caused by a company who hired a lot of people and had jobs. There was an accident that happened, a a careless maybe. But Mm -hmm. the thing about it is is the governors of those states were the ones who should have been the first ones to be and, uh taking their responsibility which they would and then all of a sudden I I hate to say this but I was disturbed that the federal government I wanted the states to have the right to work with the oil company and do what they needed to do what was best for all right. and you're telling me today uh something I like to hear I like to hear that the governor that is in that state uh, is uh, cares about the state they live in the state they get around that state and that's their home. That's where they want the welfare and the happiness and the health of their citizens, or within their state. And you know, Duane, I've thought, often thought of this: um, our forefathers in the United States were very, very brilliant. They divided it up to do it that way—in states, not little countries.
3: That's right. Yeah, it's, it's unique to this country, and it's
2: oh, unique to the planet.
3: It is. I'm, I'm sorry unique to the planet, yep
2: because right. the planet is now you know looking at this the bo- body of land in this North America, and our forefathers so brilliant, and I get a little disappointed that these different politicians think our forefathers, when they did the Constitution and they did these things so far back, were not as smart as everybody is today i I disagree, I thought they were brilliant
3: yep, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I want to talk a little bit uh today with you about these temperatures that we're seeing.
2: Yes, I want to hear about that cuz that's affecting our water too. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, it really is. We have extreme drought conditions in the, in about uh uh 20 states of the of the continental United States and and when you look at the record from July of last year to July of this year, it's the highest temperature record that we have since we started keeping records in 1895. And if I take you back to March a little bit and think about this past March, how the snowpack was gone essentially in March in most of the West, and we had record, record temperatures for the month of March. All, every state except Washington had record high temperatures. And when you think about that, and people say, well, you know that we've also had record colds, so we're really not warming, but if you think about a bell-shaped curve and the average temperature Let's say for Grants Pass, Oregon, and you're looking at cold to hot temperatures over the period of record, let's say 100 years in Grants Pass, Oregon, where you are, and you have the the average temperature, and to your right of the bell-shaped curve are the high temperatures, and to the left are the low temperatures. And people say, well, we have we've had record lows with these record highs. So I really don't think the climate's changing. But what's really happening is now you take that bell-shaped curve for Grants Pass. And you move it to the right toward the high temperatures, because that's what's happening. We're moving our averages to the right. And now that bell-shaped curve that goes out to the right is in higher temperatures. So for every record cold that we're seeing in the United States, we're seeing at least three times the number of record warm temperatures. And,
2: And heat evaporates moisture.
3: Exactly, exactly. So we're seeing mm-hmm. drought conditions, we're seeing record warm mm-hmm. temperatures, uh, we're seeing, um, the data aren't complete yet, but it's, it's starting to look like we're seeing more severe, the, the stronger, severe storms are happening more often in response to moving energy around in the atmosphere. So it seems Let me like- I want to
2: ask you something, and your background might be able to answer this or give me a theory on it. Um, when we have the fresh water on earth is has been lowering down into to the aquifers and we don't have as much fresh water at the, to, at the top of the, at the surface of the earth as we once did and the, the aquifers are getting full because of all that flooding and when it does pour down rain but does that have a lot to do with the, the temperature change and the climate change because we don't have enough fresh water uh, and fresh water would be the cold water to, uh, to uh, affect
3: the atmosphere? I would say there's, there's two things that are, are the main reasons for us not having as much fresh water. One is there's a, a lot more demand on the water that we have. Yeah, we know that. Right. Much more demand. Right. And I think that climate change actually has an effect on the freshwater supplies rather than the, rather than the freshwater supplies having a direct, measurable effect on the climate change. Although they definitely do. One influences the other, but uh, I would say that the, the the reduction in the amount of water in any given area where it's actually happening over a long period of time is due to the climate change. It's not necessarily driving the climate change. Now, with that said, it in fact can be a driver to climate change. For example, I just told you that this past March was the warmest on record for every state except Washington State, and that the snowpack in the continental united states had virtually disappeared well that fact added to the increased warming because we didn't have the snow cover to reflect the sunlight okay, the land yeah, surface yeah. heated up and okay. so it's it, they one drives So there down. is a relationship there is a relationship if you don't okay. have the precipitation to create the snowpack and the ground stays exposed then the air temperatures get warmer faster because the sunlight's not reflected so there there's a definitely it's a circular relationship, and it's it's difficult. It, it changes from, from one region to the next on is the lack of water driving the climate change or is the climate change driving the lack of water.
2: We're going to take a moment for our break, and it's the last one we'll have because I didn't want to have I, – I, I wanted to keep you on as long as I could. We're going to be right back, and uh, we'll go dive into that. And then I want to find out what the diff- what's happening in Canada with the relationship here in North America uh, Whether they're going through, we'll be right back, Dwayne. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. With just a mist to give your eyes 100% water, all natural, tissue culture grade water, no burning, no stinging, just a mist to give your eyes the nutrition of clenching with water. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil.
0: Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you.
1: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program.
2: Dwayne, Dwayne, when you were mentioning about the relationship of our snow covered mountains and areas of our country that did have an influence when there was a warm trend, uh, with the climate change with a warm trend that was very historical. But uh, immediately I got to thinking about our friends up in, in North America in Canada. Have you heard anything what their, what the climate change has been there? Because they are abundant full of water, an enormous amount of wealth of water and natural resources, their mountains and their, uh, um, I don't know about what's happening. Uh, well, I, I guess we did hear that they're not getting at that famous ski resort in Vancouver. I don't. Did they ever get snow this last year?
3: Yeah, it was it was uh, a record year for them too in terms of, of um, small amounts of snow. There we go. Uh, I, that's it just dawned on me. Small amounts of snow. Yeah, uh, Canada is actually the first country to pull out of the Kyoto Agreement, and they did it in response to the fact that the United States and China, who are the two largest uh, carbon producers on the planet, had not ratified the treaty. And Canada felt like, okay, look, if, if we try to meet the Kyoto Protocol and we don't meet the Kyoto Protocol and we end up paying billion dollars, billions of dollars in fines because we signed it, the United States and China didn't even sign the thing, so we're pulling out. So Canada is the first country to pull out of the Kyoto Explain Agreement.
2: Explain that program program to the okay. audience.
3: Okay, the, the Kyoto Agreement was signed in Kyoto, Japan uh, by most of the uh, developed countries of the world except the United States and China. And what the Kyoto Agreement says is that as a planet, uh, our governments or, or individual governments will work toward reducing carbon emissions. And they had target dates set in there. Um, the Kyoto Agreement was uh, signed, I believe, um, I'm going to guess here, but I think it was right around 1990, something like that. And so the, the countries meet periodically to decide how well they're they're doing on on meeting their carbon emissions. And um, the United States and Canada would not sign that for political internal political reasons. They wouldn't sign the agreement. The United States and China, I'm sorry. And so Canada. Did sign the agreement, but now they're the first country that's pulled out of it. And and one of the reasons they probably pulled out of it was they want to develop their um, oil sands, the tar sands in in Alberta in Western Canada, mm-hmm. and that releases more carbon than regular drilling for oil to develop mm-hmm. those tar sands. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down again to money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when there's when there's billions and billions of dollars involved it it's hard for a country to justify trying to meet these carbon emissions when the two biggest producers of carbon on the planet didn't even sign the agreement, the United States right. and Canada. Okay. So Canada's I mean they're they're it's a rich nation, they have lots of, of fresh water which by the way um one of our largest uh water supplies and and largest river basins in in the Pacific Northwest and in, in the United States, the Columbia River basin starts in Canada.
2: Right. Right. So we
3: have to work hand in hand with with the Canadians on 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 I was talking to somebody,
2: supply. our our interpreter for the, for the French side of our company, um, French interpreter is over in Quebec area, and she said, Sharon, you have got to come and see us. We're full of water over here.
3: Yeah, yeah
2: And she said it was one of the largest largest storage of fresh waters in the world.
3: Well, it is, and it's it's a really a wealthy country. It has. Vast uh, energy resources, vast and water resources, and not very much
2: population. And a, and a at small all.
3: population. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and um, so
2: beautiful. It is. And everybody is. works so hard. Um, I've been up there a few times, and we have a nice big business up there with the country, and and it just they, they, everybody is so and so kind and so concerning, and and uh, it's a great country, and and their wealth of beauty is just. Uh, uh, and, you know, well, of course I'm sitting here in Oregon audience dwayne <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean you everybody in the United States I can just they, they, t- take this serious. I live in the most beautiful place on earth
3: <laughs> you do Grants southern nice right idea.
2: here in Grants Pass, Oregon, with the mountains and it's almost like a mini Switzerland down in the valley here and the and the the gorgeous Va- rogue river and and uh everything that's going uh, dwayne here in our city um we have what's called the Jet Hells Gate excursion boats, and and our place here just the lawns just go into the to, to a canyon right near town called the Stillwater area, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a canyon, and we're the only canyon like it right here in front of us in the right near town, but uh, the rest of it's shallower and 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 not as deep, but. here comes these gorgeous boats from people all over the world there's about 10 of them going up and down the river and we've got hiking trails and in the the valley here we have uh, Brady Adams who is one of the founders of a big uh, bank here in town and um, they started putting money back into the community many many years ago and they have up and down the streets all these characters like they have these bears that are huge huge sizes and and artwork that are big bears and, and artwork up and down the streets and hanging baskets and people coming and going and children able to enjoy their lives and, and the scenery at like a little valley. And, uh, so I'm, I, I always think, Dwayne, <laughs> you know, and, and although Switzerland's one of my favorite places in the world too, but this valley here and the green reef. And this year we got lucky, Dwayne. Uh, we did not get the rain uh, at the beginning of the year, but we did get it in the spring. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Dwayne, here came this miracle of one rain after the other rain. And uh, the Rogue is prettier this year and fresher and smells delicious, uh, healthier than it has for years. And But back now to uh, the hurricane season you wanted to talk about.
3: Well, let me, uh, let, our let heat me wave
2: a... and our, our uh, climate change is, mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about this hurricane we're hearing about uh, that's happening?
3: Well, before I get into that, let's let's go back to Canada real quick, just okay. to kind of put it in perspective. Okay. Uh, Canada is a, a country of about 35 million people. The state of California is about 38 million now. So when you... When you wow. put that in perspective and you take oh, the population crazy. of a state and spread it over the, a country the size of Canada that has the water resources and the energy resources that they have, they truly are Mineral uh, one of the world's richest nations. Oh, they're one of the world's richest nations. They
2: are. Um, you're right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I hadn't realized. I, I wasn't comparing their population to California. My gosh.
3: Yeah, it's about the same. And when you think about the the impact on the water resources that that small population has in that vast country it goes back to what what i said earlier that if we would address overpopulation in the world and water resources mm-hmm. uh, and strive to have the kind of situation that canada has where we you know, there's a controlled population and you have vast water resources I've seen calculations that as
2: long as Duane and others I'm going to get my little hat on here about economy. Uh their economy c- thinking is for the future for their uh, citizens that live there. Is they need to think about what's going on all over the world and prepare for themselves and by now going into building up more resources of income. Um, what's happening down here we don't have the population Really, considering our territory as badly yet either, and that's why they were comparing us to what's going on financially with the economy of Greece Greece, their population may be able to sustain in long term the payback to the government of what they owe mm-hmm. uh if, if if with their debts, but here in the United States, we don't have the population to be able to ca- ha- assist any tax plans they may have to pay that all back.
3: that's right. Yep.
2: And because our population isn't so out of control yet. and uh, But now back to uh, the year hurricane season, uh, you know, we look at ourselves and where we're wanting to live and where we want it to be, uh, our mm-hmm. lifestyle, right in the middle of tornadoes, earthquakes, and hurricanes, I mean.
3: Uh, that's right. Uh, something like 60% of the world's population lives within something like 100 kilometers or about 60 miles of a coastline. Right, and, and so most of the population—that's where most of the population wants wants to live. And if you look at sea level rise predictions over the next fifty years or so, those are the most vulnerable areas to sea level rise as the as the atmosphere warms up and we now, lose, Are we going to be
2: more prone to tsunamis um, uh, continually that could be happening if it potentially?
3: Well, the tsunamis are generally related to, to earthquake activity right. Not, right. and not, not to climate change. But, I didn't mean
2: that. I just meant that, that. Well, when there's so much changing going on, there's a relationship. I'm I'm real funny about my world. I look at you're, you're the pro. I'm I'm just the novice. But I look at my research. Well, okay, everything has a relationship because of the rhythm. Did you follow me? Yes. The mm-hmm. rhythm of our planet and. The dehydration that I study of what is going on with all of the planet, including all life and human life, because all life, all human life is nothing but water. Each person is trillions and trillions of cells with water. The relationship of the atmosphere to life and then the waters of the world together and then the atmosphere brings a rhythm.
3: Right to, to follow me. <laughs> I do, I do, I absolutely do. I well, I'm the novice. You know, as as the population grows as we develop those those uh, coastal areas, which is what humans tend to do, and the populations tend to concentrate near those they coastal areas,
2: to their compulsion to be to be near the water.
3: And they are certainly vulnerable to whether it's sea level rise or or hurricanes or tsunamis from earthquakes. They're very vulnerable.
2: Oh, well, and I always say to myself too, because we live on the Rogue River here, and uh we're on the rogue, and uh the rogue has been known to go up <laughs> oh yes. yes i mean its it, uh it hasn't been for for a long time, but there's times that you can know, and I've always said yeah. if it comes up, it comes up, and we have to leave but
3: well, actually, uh, this, this, they actually do some zoning there on the Rogue. I think i told you this before. I, I well, Several years ago, about maybe eight, nine years ago, I took a, a jet boat tour on the Rogue River right right there in Grants Pass.
2: Oh, so you, you, you left Grants Pass and went down?
3: Yes, and, and passed some beautiful million-dollar-plus homes along the Rogue River. And, and I noticed and said something to our tour guide. I said, well, these houses are all up above... Basements that are above ground, and there's garage doors on both ends of the house. What's oh well, you're the deal that's, there?
2: that's that's,
3: <laughs> that's <a> zoning. <laughs> that's
2: our neighborhood. That's right next door to me. <laughs> oh,
3: okay. Well, he said, "Well, that's zoning. They, they oh, have yeah. to build in uh, that years way." And years and ago, it.
2: my husband and I, uh, yes, Uh he's not all that. By the way, but anyway, back to there was a uh, up in uh, the 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 regulations were that if you're going to build, you have to build above and uh but again um uh we're yeah we're all subjected and then when i go to the ocean and see homes on cliffs i go over to uh the florida or all these areas that are prone to hurricanes and then i go over to these states that have the t- they know that tornadoes are going to come through you have states that you they know there could be an earthquake yeah we well, all live with this uh strange outlook on now, and then fires. Uh, we had a report recently, a few weeks ago, when an area had the fire, but not enough water because there was no water.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Have you been to Summit County, Colorado lately? That's no, where all, where I've all never the ski areas there. are. Hmm. Well, because of the, the pine bark beetle, which the, the theory is that the pine bark beetle is moving further and further north because the winters are Shorter and shorter, and spring comes earlier and earlier, and the winters mm-hmm. aren't as severe, so the pine bark beetles aren't dormant as long, so they're moving further and further north, and they're killing the trees. And Summit County, Colorado, which is where the ski areas are, is brown. There are no green trees. Well, in and Summit that's prone to fire. The all is one exactly. lightning
2: uh, uh, storm and with lightning, and, and all of a sudden, it, all it does is touch off a, a tree, and then all of a sudden, there goes. Uh, the dead trees
3: that's right being burned. And we don't you
2: know that's why you might disagree with me, but that's why I believe in c- some of the cutting to clear out that each year a little bit to keep that to, uh, keep the other trees that are healthy healthier. Um, and, uh, and it gets some of that dead stuff out of there. If we don't do some pre-planning there, uh, that all it would take is some year, and all of a sudden their water is scarce and they won't be able to keep up. And you hear of these thousands of acres of fires already that are out of control.
3: Yeah, it's, it's extremely dry conditions right now. And, again,
2: now, the last, Wayne, we the last had year that, is the warmest. We had this one over here in southern Oregon with that moth that had webbed, webbed the, the moth webbing um, uh, up in the trees. Yes. What do you call that? Um,
3: I'm not sure which one it would be. Yeah,
2: but it was a white moth. And then when it would lay its eggs among all this webbing and the trees were full of webs, and all the droppings that were coming down as they were the the moths were coming to birth, the droppings were black below all these trees. The tree they were all over the place. Now, some young man named Leland Pritchett said to me, "No one had ever said this. They said if we get a real cold weather, and we get a continually cold weather enough that year, that will k- k- get rid of them." Everybody's all, no, they'll always be there because they've been so infested. He was right. I have not seen one this summer. Not one.
3: Well, that's the same way with the pine bark beetle. You, you need the long winter for Cold them winter. to be dormant so they won't keep moving further and right. further north. Right. And we're not getting that. Now, so,
2: on these hurricanes, uh, seasons when people hmm. are warned about them, uh, or even a tornado, uh, we're having a lot more tornadoes too. Uh, What are they going to do to get prepared for saving these people's lives? Because they're right in the middle, uh, especially like a tornado, you don't know which neighborhood
3: it's going to go through. Well, and that's one of the arguments that that NOAA leadership has taken to Congress, that you you keep cutting the observational network budgets and keep cutting satellites out of the budget. And satellites really, if we lose a a certain number of satellites that are doing the weather monitoring for us, Mm -hmm. uh, it will set back. Weather prediction twenty years, and right now we're seven to fifteen days. We we have a, a pretty good record of being able to predict the weather. Well, that's because of the satellite observations and what mm-hmm. gives us that global, that large regional picture. And so we're making those arguments as as strongly as we can. Now, that we, can that
2: also give an uh, um, also a forecast of which neighborhood is
3: going to come through? Um, you can you can forecast with some skill. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what we're really the best at is once the, for instance, a hurricane, once it's formed, we're we're getting pretty good at mm-hmm. getting a, a higher skill level at being able to predict landfall and at what intensity mm-hmm. that hurricane will be. Mm-hmm. And curiously enough, this season, you know, there's not been a, um, no, no named storms yet during July 2012, mm-hmm. and we're right in the midst of the hurricane season.
2: Now Duane, do you, is your background very, uh, familiar with just some of the theories about what's going on to, with our, uh, species in waters? And like we're getting a lot of these sharks coming closer to shore and the seals are closer to shore. Is that also, is there a theory there? It's because of a, ch- a climate change and the warm, the mm-hmm. waters are warmer. Uh, is there something there too that's, uh,
3: yeah, it's, it, it appears we've, we've got a about a 31- or 32-year record from the satellites of, of sea surface temperature, and that's just the skin of the sea. It's not at any mm-hmm. depth. It's right at, mm-hmm. at sea surface. Mm-hmm. But we can see those temperatures warming over the last 32 years, and the the line between the warm sea surface temperatures and the cooler sea surface temperatures is moving further and further north. And so we mm-hmm. see, for instance, in the Gulf of the Fairlands off of San Francisco Bay, uh, I believe it was about 85 or 86. There was a species of, of seal that's moved into there that wasn't there before, and it's got a foothold now. And it's the the theory is it's because this this warmer line of sea surface temperatures has moved mm-hmm. further and further north, and so that species of seal has moved into the Gulf of the Fairlands. And the theory is the same thing is happening with with uh, sea lions and and with sharks and with all all kinds of of habitat in the ocean, that as the temperatures warm up away from the equator and move toward the poles, those species are moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And in the freshwater, uh, what are you hearing about freshwater species?
3: Well, in freshwater, you're getting more and more invasive species because of the temperatures mm-hmm. going up. are
2: mm-hmm.
3: getting species, in, for instance, in Great Lakes that, that they hadn't hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. because the temperatures are rising. Mm-hmm.
2: So with our climate change, and now uh, before we, you go today, we only have about a minute and a half left, what is the difference between global warming and climate change to you? Uh, political. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that
3: because I remember The, the, it the difference is political. Yeah. One party will call it global warming, the next will call it climate change, and the next one will say we don't even want to talk about climate. Let's talk about extreme weather. Well, I like personally.
2: I like the climate change because I know that when I was a young girl, I go to bed at night just at Christmas time, and there would be snow everywhere, and we don't get that anymore. Uh, The climate change has been going on forever, Uh, so I kind of like the word climate change. But you, as a you're the professional, you're the you're the um, expert to me with your studies and your background. And which one do you
3: think it is, though? I prefer climate change because there are, uh, human drivers to that change. There's okay. also natural drivers to that change. But there's also global cooling. So if you're going to talk about global warming, then you also need to talk about global cooling. And we have evidence of that happening from time to time with large volcanic eruptions throughout history that, mm-hmm. that filled the atmosphere with reflective volcanic dust that reflected sunlight back into space. The planet actually cooled and, as a matter of fact, we have some recent evidence that that happened. Right after 9-11, uh, when some 6,600 or so, 6,000 plus flights, uh, jetliner flights, were grounded, right after 9-11, there was a researcher at the University of Wisconsin that monitored atmospheric temperatures over the United States with the grounding of those jets, and the air temperatures actually cooled by one degree Fahrenheit over about a week period, because those jets weren't up there putting their exhaust out reflecting sunlight. So awesome. if you're going to talk about global warming, you've got to talk about global cooling, and, and I, I prefer to talk about climate change. Okay.
2: Well, we're out of time. I sure appreciate it. again. I think the audience got a wealth of thoughts here and education, and thank you for joining us. And if you ever get near Grants Pass, Oregon, of course you're going to come and see us.
3: Absolutely will. I sure okay, will. Thank promise.
2: you. You have a nice day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, I want you to know, uh, when I bring in Dr. Cecil, his background is just extraordinary. And as you can tell, he does very well to teach us on the radio. And if you're listening closely, the education that we get, we receive, and we think we've heard it all. Uh, you know, we hear the same, some, some of the subjects over and over again that are almost always somewhat the same. But I think he brings it out to an education for us, like we're the students and he's the professor. He's a PhD. His background is extraordinary, and he comes from a wealth of experience. And I think we need to listen very closely to what he is saying and what this show is all about. And I'm very serious about my prayer. I I believe the prayer that I'm having every moment of the day is that you know how serious water issues there are. And when you're talking or emailing or blogging out there, make sure that people want to talk about a priority the threat of lack of water, fresh water, and, and the, the dangerous species that it is. Well, fresh water, you must drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. And your humidity you're living in every day is vital to your breath of life. Breath of life is fresh water in the air called humidity. I want to thank you for listening today. Embrace your life. Earth has that secret. If you do, you'll feel it. You'll feel that rhythm. But Earth is whispering. Don't ever say goodbye. Your prayers will be heard and you'll never be gone because you're going to leave something behind. I want to thank you for listening. Do a good deed. Have a nice day.